0: Welcome back to another week of All Fired Up and thank you to everybody who got in contact after our last topic on toxic gym culture. Boy, have I had my eyes opened even wider as to how shit gym culture really is these days. It's even worse than I think we were talking about. So heaps of messages from people talking about how they really agreed that that gyms weren't somewhere that they felt safe. And even people who do attend the gym have been talking about just how pushy the gyms are becoming with diet programs and weight loss programs and body transformation programs. And my God, I was blown away by just the amount of money these gyms are asking for these programs. I'm talking like one person was telling me that she was invited to spend ten thousand dollars on this ridiculous food and exercise program, which was apparently gonna, you know, get rid of all of her weight for the rest of her life. We know how that's gonna end. But just the incessant sales pitch that people are being exposed to, from people personal trainers giving them phone calls at all hours of the day and night playing on their guilt and body insecurity and relationships. It's just not okay. So please, you know, stay safe from modern gym culture. It really is shit. And if you want to move your body in a nice, enjoyable way in a safe place, go and find a haze or non-diet person because I really feel that that fitness industry it needs to change in that direction so that everybody can just go along and have fun. And also we can get rid of all of these MLM-based diet and weight loss programs, which are infecting gyms like left, right and center. So this week it's a bit of a change of pace. I have a wonderful conversation for you with a wonderful person. Her name is Dr. Lilia Grau and she is a physician and a licensed marriage and family therapist, fiercely hazed, fiercely body positive and very much into mindfulness. And Lilia and I are having an amazing conversation this week all about mindfulness and why it really is as a concept, weight inclusive, because of course, we've all heard how mindfulness is increasingly being used almost as a new diet or as a weight control tool or even less explicitly by diet culture mindfulness is sort of used as something that we need to perfect a skill that we need to to master in order to be non-diet and Lilia just has a really beautiful way of explaining what mindfulness really is how it applies to mindful eating and how it applies to connecting with our bodies in all kinds of ways and just how when you really look at what mindfulness actually is that Everybody is included. People of all weights are included. It really is weight inclusive. And from that perspective, to even think about mindful eating as a weight loss tool seems patently ridiculous. So, without further ado, I give you me and the incredible Lilia. So, Lilia, thank you so much for coming
1: on the show. Thank you so much, Lou, for having me. And what is firing you up? What is firing me up, among other things, <laughs> we are in a really difficult time right now in the world in general. But yeah. in terms of, you know, the field that you and I are both in, what is firing me up is seeing practices that are about liberation and healing, co-opted in favor of oppression and promoting harm and perpetuating the diet mentality, really. Wow, and beautifully said, yeah. And performative health in general, I would say not just diet mentality, but this idea that health looks a certain way and that we need to to have our bodies conform to that certain way health is supposed to look like, or the beauty ideal is supposed to look like, or having to follow these behaviors that are like an obligation, something we are meant to be doing as a should. Mm, mm,
0: yeah like we should and that's the the definition of an oppressive system isn't it that we should all be acting in a certain way without any kind of
1: freedom or liberation yes exactly this should Mm. in accordance to some ideal we should all conform to yeah it's a
0: pretty horrendous concept that describes diet culture perfectly really (laughs) as an oppressive system that tells us all to be a certain way.
1: Yes, to be a certain way, to eat a certain way, to not eat a certain way. Mm.
0: And if we don't, then we're, you know, not really worthy of belonging or respect.
1: Yeah, not really worthy of belonging or respect or really humane treatment by anybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, you and I, we're on the same page with this. We really have a strong idea about social justice and how that comes into all of this non-diet work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you and I were talking a little bit about starting the recording and we were talking about how this issue of social justice gets missed very often and often even completely, sometimes just subtly in different approaches to healing and well-being and self-care because our view is very limited and We really just are thinking in terms of either a narrow definition of health or a narrow application of notions that are really about collective liberation, not just about individual liberation. And I think that that is something that's easy to miss when we are in a field that addresses individuals, Mm, yeah the
0: emphasis is on the individual all the time in diet culture isn't it it's always about like what basically health is down to thinness thinness Mm -hmm. is absolutely up to you and thinness equals what you eat and how much you move and everything about the context anything about anything broader is literally ignored Yes.
1: And even the definition of health is so limited. When we think about the way the medical system defines health, mm-hmm. even though there are, there's a mention of biopsychosocial and maybe even the word holistic gets thrown in, the way diet culture and the weight-centered paradigm have really dominated the medical paradigm is all about metabolic and cardiovascular health and anything and everything that is really more relational, our interpersonal connections, our society, our connection with earth, our connection with spirituality, all of that gets simply thrown out because we're looking at this very narrow definition of what health needs to look like. Mm.
0: And that's what, you know, social justice perspectives really trying to emphasize are all of those aspects of health that are not talked about. And there's significant impacts on an individual's overall health. Things that are beyond your control, things like socioeconomic status or wow. gender or race will definitely impact on how quote unquote healthy a person is. And it's so unfair when you see just this emphasis on it, basically it's up to you, when we just really know that that's not the truth.
1: Yeah, we know that's not the truth. And yet we, again, focus on individuals, not on the collective. We focus on things that are up to you and a person is deemed as virtuous and responsible when they follow all of the shoulds, and the promise is: if you follow all of these shoulds and you are virtuous and good and worthy, then the promise of eternal health will be yours. Oh. <laughs> and. If you don't, you're a bad person, you're unworthy, you're irresponsible, you're lazy, you're all of these things. And Mm. there isn't a recognition of what you just named, intersecting identities. Mm. There isn't a recognition of social determinants of health. And Mm. there isn't a recognition of the fact that our health status or condition at any given time is the result of multiple interactions of the different spheres. So genetics, environment, intersecting identities, society, culture, mm. Mm. social determinants of health in general, and, and our choices. But our choices are like a very little part of that. And even our choices are constrained and limited and defined by all of those other social determinants of health and intersecting identities and our history and even the trauma and oppression that we have been subjected to shape our possibility and choices.
0: Mm, and our health. Is, yeah, It's such an interesting topic to talk about. And I'm so glad we're here talking about it. And, Me too. And the, the way we got here is because I saw your post that you wrote, which is called Why Mindful Eating is Weight Inclusive. And yeah. I just, I loved it. And it got quite a bit of attention in the community and kind of around the world. It got a lot of feedback. And so I would love you to tell me the story of how you came to write that.
1: I will gladly share the story with you. The first thing I want to say before telling the story is in my story, it is not my intention to shame any individual who is mentioned in terms of my reaction to it and my reasons to write the blog post, Ooh. it is my intention to point to systemic patterns of oppression that permeate and are so pervasive that they manifest in the teachings of even people who are really wise and have awakened to so much in terms of the ways we are oppressed and in the ways we are blocked from healing and balance and our a good relationship a respectful relationship with food and our bodies mm-hmm. yeah so having said that the story is that I so this was a few months ago I have been following a teacher of dharma who teaches on race and liberation and Really, she talks about all of our intersecting identities and patterns of privilege and oppression that shape our well-being individually and collectively. Mm-hmm. And so I've been learning so much from this person. And I signed up to a month-long program she had. So this person doesn't teach specifically about anything related to food or eating, just really in general about ethics and dharma and liberating ourselves from oppression collectively. Mm. It's, she sounds fascinating. So, I fascinating. so I, I'm taking this course, and a few days go by, and then I see this video blog she posted as part of the course, talking about how she's going on the master cleanse and recommending the master cleanse to all of her followers. Oh, wow. no. I know. <laughs> my face fell. I was at a loss for words. I was like, no, not you too, please not you. And <laughs> not my guru. <laughs> please, not my teacher, not you who are supposed to get it. And then she went on and on about, you know, the pseudoscience that were sold about how detoxes and cleanses are quote unquote necessary to detoxify our bodies every now and then. And here I am just thinking, no, our bodies and organs do that every day for us. Thank you. Yeah, like, oh. <laughs> Exactly. But the same tones you're making, I was making only much louder. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, please. No, 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 no. So that really made me at the time I felt very angry. I felt very frustrated. I felt very disappointed. I felt betrayed even.
0: Yeah, and that, I can understand why, because it's, she yeah. is awake to so much. Yes. And there's this blind spot.
1: Yes, of course. There's this blind spot because we're all a part of this culture. We were all brought up here and we all have so much to unlearn individually and collectively. And then a few days later, I was reviewing (laughs) the the second edition of the book of one of my dearest and most respected teachers. And there was a chapter on mindful eating for kids and teens. And really the emphasis and the subtext that was present throughout was the threat of quote-unquote obesity in children and teens. And... uh, I know, exactly. No, 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 please. And then how to teach them to read labels and make informed choices about processed foods versus unprocessed foods and about the content of salt and sugar and fat. And I was like, "No, no, this is like a
0: rehash of diet mentality. And this is in a chapter entitled Mindful Eating.
1: Yes, in a book entitled Mindful Eating in a chapter for Kids and teens, uh-huh. and then this same teacher was sharing in the group of people who have trained with her uh, research around, you know, weight concerns and mindful eating and mindfulness. Ooh. And she sent an email with the topic, or actually, they because she's partnered with another teacher, and they sent an email that was all about the research on quote unquote obesity and mindful eating. And I was like, no, uh-huh. no this is all wrong. And so I wrote to them, good on you. I, oh, <laughs> thank you. I actually wrote to the other teacher too who never responded. I have no idea whether she even read my email. Oh, well, that's such a shame. I know. And then so the second teacher who I have a personal relationship with, I wrote to her and the other teacher and I said, you know, I think we're doing something wrong when Everything we're discussing around research and mindful eating is around the topic of quote unquote obesity. And Mm. Mm. in their reply, it is very clear and evident to me that they're not really seeing what you and I are discussing about ethics and social justice and the way that makes itself evident in diet mentality and in the way many people are teaching mindful eating because Ooh. they have been brought up and trained in a weight-centric paradigm in the health professions so Ooh. many of the mindful eating teachers are physicians and psychologists and dietitians you know, like right <laughs> yes and so they were really trained in this weight-centric paradigm and so it makes sense that when they come to this view of mindful eating they just apply it to what they already view as a problem Yeah, yeah. It does make sense when you look at it that way. And so, again, in their reply, it was evident to me that they don't really get what I'm talking about, at least not yet. (laughs) (laughs) And at the same time, they were truly kind and said, we always keep a beginner's mind and you are welcome to write a blog post for our platform for your fellow teachers to read what you're talking about. This is very important. That's really
0: encouraging, isn't it? That they acknowledged the importance of the topic, even if they didn't really
1: understand it. Yeah. If they didn't exactly get where I was coming from. And so I was very grateful. And this, this was a couple of months ago and the blog post I am publishing on their platform will be in August. Okay. And so I really wanted to Begin a collective effort among fellow mindful eating teachers who are on the same page in terms of hate and social justice and body oppression and liberation. And several of them were interested, but somehow it didn't seem like we were really getting a lot done in terms of the writing. (laughs) And I just just thought, okay, everybody has busy lives and things to do. I'm going to make a first draft. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote my first draft and I gave myself permission. To not do any tone policing to myself. Mm-hmm. To not really edit myself or censor myself, to really just come out with it the way it was there for me at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wrote it and I thought, you know what, I need to make this public. And I had just launched my website and so I uploaded it as the first blog post on my website. My English website, actually, my Spanish website has several more, but anyway, my English website, and it's still the only post there. (laughs) (laughs) it's,
0: It's just so good. It's so good.
1: And I was really surprised because the response was overwhelmingly encouraging. People were I think a lot of people were actually hungry for that conversation precisely. And they were already thinking many of the same things and having it there written already allowed for a different dialogue. And at the same time, I had some people really challenge the tone in which it was written. A couple of them thought that it was too angry and maybe did not really come from a place that was easy to receive for people who are still making the transition, maybe. And I had a discussion about this with Fee, actually, because it was on the Mindful Dietitian Forum. Yeah. yeah, And we were really talking about how both are necessary. It is It is necessary and important to use our anger as a source of wisdom and yeah. really allow ourselves to not censor it and to to name the patterns of oppression, the systemic patterns that are harming all of us, especially when we're in a role that is given credibility and authority, such as the health provider. And that we we are accountable for not perpetuating the harm. And there is also a role and a necessity for us to be compassionate, especially with ourselves. I know that for me, it has been a long journey to come to this understanding. And along the way, I harmed many people, many of them my patients, and there is grief in acknowledging that and there needs to be compassion to hold that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We are allowed to be emotional as human beings and that Mm -hmm. can even come out in how we write. When I read your blog, I think that's the bit that resonated the most with me was the passion that was behind it because, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in the Hayes space we do see a lot of passion in various writing and, you know, posts and, and videos and things that people are putting out there because, and that's one of the criticisms I hear of Hayes. It's, you know, it's angry people, angry feminists, which, <laughs> you know, to almost as if the emotion that comes along with a recognition of structural oppression is oh. the worst thing that we're pointing out. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, yes. <laughs> sorry. Can you talk about, you know, how oppressed people are and, how, and the injustice of all of this in a calmer voice? And
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Why are you getting all so all riled up? <laughs> yeah. Why are you
0: so worked up about people being treated awfully? And this problem not even being acknowledged and for harm to be perpetuated throughout generations. But can you just not be so pissed off about it? I personally think it's absolutely fine to be angry. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is I really believe that anger is just an emotion that informs us that we're not being treated well and that something is wrong. And the anger is a drive to fix it.
1: Yeah, for me, anger is a very reliable cue of when boundaries are being breached.
0: Yes, yes, beautiful, right? And to say something in a passionate way will get people's attention. And obviously, it did get people's attention.
1: And that's a really good thing. Yes, and I think that the one thing that is, it's a fine line for me, at least, is Allowing myself to really, as you say, recognize anger that comes from the realization and the understanding that people are being oppressed, treated horrendously, traumatized, and re traumatized mm. for generations on. And then being able to name that. Yeah. And understanding that we're naming patterns and we're naming accountability and that we are each responsible for healing our internalized stigma, our implicit bias in a way that we don't perpetuate harm to ourselves and to other humans yeah. and doing it in a way that we are not deliberately shaming mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. because I honestly don't think that, well, that shame is one, a right. Thing to do to anybody. And also because it's not a very effective factor that promotes change. And so it doesn't make sense to me to perpetuate a pattern of shaming when I know the damage it can cause. But sometimes, to be honest, we can be very fragile, especially those of us with greater levels of privilege at different levels. And so when somebody points out in anger to something that we are doing that is harmful, Mm -hmm. we automatically say, oh, but you're shaming me when that is not the case. Really, Mm -hmm. somebody is pointing out a damaging thing we are doing and the right thing is to sit with it, go learn, go unlearn, or do whatever we need to do to heal that and transform it and then stop doing harm and making reparations. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and it's a very hard thing to receive, I think. Yeah, it's very hard to hear. And I'm thinking, you know, for example, the your colleagues who probably in good faith writing this article on mindful eating for children and teens thinking that they were doing good and mm-hmm. helping, and then to receive a message of actually there's a lot of harm there that you're not even seeing would have been a really hard message to receive.
1: But yeah. that's
0: why it's so wonderful the way they responded to you with mm-hmm. yeah with curiosity and openness and imagine if that continued to happen imagine if these dialogues and conversations kept on happening if we keep on pointing out the, the harm being done and trying to open conversations because you could very well have not written to anybody here yes. you could have just been angry and done a meme about it and moved on <laughs> but, but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and that's what's so cool you brought this whole kind of attention and focus to this and this is where change can happen because yeah. Um, yeah, it's so needed. And I would encourage everyone listening to go and read Lily's post about why mindful eating is weight inclusive, because you point out so many wonderful things. Like one of them is when you read about mindful eating now, it's like it, mindful eating is now like a set of rules to another diet. It's another way to follow a diet to eventually lose weight, which is not right.
1: No, it it is definitely being co-opted. And I think that's, I don't know, I think that in part responds to the way that mindfulness in general and mindfulness-based practices have been brought to the health care system and the secular system in the West, because they have been stripped of a lot of the ethical principles that sustain them and that they're rooted in and that it's in. Important and actually essential to learn. Many mindfulness and mindful eating teachers are not learning about that. They're not learning about the ethics. They're not learning about the responsibility in these practices to safeguard ourselves and safeguard others and really about non-harm. And I think that part of that has happened because many, I would say the majority of prominent Teachers in the mindfulness and mindful eating tradition are people with incredibly privileged identities Mm -hmm. who have not had the lived experience of somebody who has intersecting marginalized identities and who can speak to what it is to live in a larger body, what it is to be fat, what it is to be black or brown, what it is to live with a disability. And so those lenses are not being incorporated. And without this understanding, it like it doesn't surprise me at all Mm. that mindfulness and mindful eating would be co-opted into the dominant paradigm, and even used to enhance it. Mm. Well, even used in a way
0: to do harm. Yeah, and to keep perpetuate you know distance in between everybody. You know, distance Mm -hmm. between the privileged and people who are living with marginalized identities or different struggles.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty deep stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it is, and I think we need to do that deep work yeah. each one of us. Yes, because
0: you have such a deep understanding of what mindfulness is and how to bring it into your relationship with food and body, which is different to what we see on on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: a lot of what we see on the internet are really... I call them "rosy memes." <laughs> 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 Which is another thing that gets me really fired up.: Yeah, yeah. Because it's all about, you know, the rainbow and the silver lining and living a life that is fully free of suffering and grief and anything remotely uncomfortable. Yeah. the root of these practices is to lean into the discomfort, to go through it, to be able to sit and be familiar with the whole of our human existence and experience.
0: That's lovely. I knew you would let me know your understanding of mindfulness because it's not just rainbows and unicorns and like not caring about stuff. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. <at> yeah. All. <laughs> yeah, it's about openness to the full human experience. And yeah. uh, being missed in all of this sort of stuff.
1: And it's about a cultivation, an ongoing cultivation that entails a lot of discomfort, cultivation of equanimity and of empathetic joy, and the cultivation of loving kindness and compassion yeah. and generosity and gratitude. And all of those things are not possible if we don't invite the part of ourselves that feels uncomfortable or painful for the part of ourselves that's just ego and wants to be stroked. And that is, I fear, a particular challenge for us health providers. Mm -hmm. We have invested by our whole culture of this authority and we need to feel like we're always saying the right thing and prescribing the right things. And we have all of the answers and our role is to fix. And from that place how are we meant to really look at our mistakes and look at the ways we are doing harm and really repent and repair and learn and know that it is not about fixing. It's about being with what is and healing and just expanding this space of holding and accepting.
0: Yeah, that is so beautifully put. And so with that, how would that look if we apply that to this whole issue of, you know, the invisible like the blind spots when it comes to weight bias and relationship with food? What would change?
1: So what would change would be the first thing that came to my mind is what would change is we would acknowledge that we have very few of the answers mm-hmm. and we need to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to other people's lived experience. Mm. And really be curious about how other people experience certain words or terms or paradigms or normative identities of all sorts, including a normative definition of health. And then just from that place of not knowing and genuine curiosity about What the lived experience of any person is, really privilege people's stories and wisdom and dignity and respect. And it would look like not looking for and promoting this idea that there are any easy answers free of discomfort.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that's just not that's not doesn't gel with the concept of mindfulness.
1: (laughs) It doesn't. And the other thing that doesn't gel is and funnily enough, the mindfulness tradition is very explicit about the perfectionist voice and the inner critic voice and how they are not speaking truth. And perfectionism is also a trait of white supremacy and patriarchy and you know, performative health and the weight-centric paradigm. And so all of those, all of these traditions, social justice, body liberation, health at every size, mindful eating, intuitive eating, have that in common, naming perfectionism as a problem and countering it. Mm. And yet we are all, well, not all of us, or at least not all of the time. I know I can be trapped in that mentality too, but a lot of the time, many of us are still pursuing this perfectionist ideal of doing mindful eating right, quote unquote. And, And that's when we get it wrong. That's when we turn a set of guidelines and invitations in terms of a practice into an outcome based set of rules yeah
0: yeah but it's so indoctrinated into our way of thinking that yeah. i think that when i first start to talk to people about mindfulness and mindful eating that that's how it's treated for several weeks if not months it's you know i'm i'm trying to learn this new skill i'm trying to perfect this new skill and i'm not doing very well at it <laughs> And it's so, it's so understandable, but it's important to recognize that. And it's a hard concept to get, isn't it? It's hard to wrap your head around, you know, mindfulness not being something to perfect, but mindfulness being something to embrace and learn about and let go of perfectionism.
1: Yes. And practice and cultivate and come back to over and over and over again. There's this wonderful phrase. I think it's by Sharon Salzberg. I first heard it from Dana Sturdivant from Be Nourished that healing is in the returning. And so it's about returning to our practice every day, every meal, every step. Mm. That's that's the intention to come back, and we will forget, and our minds will leave, and we will get distracted by a number of things, and we will trip along the way. And it's just about knowing that that is part of our human experience and our human nature, too. There's this thing about, of course, we want to believe that there is a right way to do it that will guarantee us eternal health and happiness. Because all of us humans want to be happy and healthy and well and safe. And at the same time, we need to acknowledge that human experience does not come free of discomfort or suffering or pain. It is part of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's that openness to all experience and a willingness to show up and be there with yourself when yes. what, no matter what, even if it's hard, even if it's easy, it's in the showing
1: up, like you said. Yes. And the cultivation of that ability to be with ourselves in this way that you just so beautifully describe allows us to maybe offer that to other humans too.
0: Yeah. And so the more you speak and the more, you know, we unpack this, the more you can see how mindful eating is not a weight loss tool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no,
1: I think I don't, I feel like that should be everywhere for everybody to see yeah yeah and mindful everybody. eating is a way of showing up yes mindful eating Oh, all that that is so beautifully said it's a way of showing up to our relationship with food and eating and our bodies and nourishment and self-care yeah
0: and not striving to change our bodies from how we're eating and, and you can see as you spoken as well how mindful eating really is weight inclusive because yes. it includes everybody of all shapes and all sizes and all intersections of different experience as well. Everybody belongs in mindful eating. We're not all doing mindful eating so we all end up the same size.
1: Yes. And when you just said that I thought of this thing where we we want to think of ourselves or build an identity as a mindful eater. Mm. And that's not the way it works. For me, it is mindful eating is something I practice and something I have the intention of returning to time and again. I don't think that there is such a thing as a mindful eater because that's a static definition. And it means that there is, I always have the metaphor of, So you reached Mount Olympus now and now you just stay there with Mm -hmm. the gods. And that's not (laughs) the way it works.
0: (laughs) No, you you stay there and you write a book and you, you know, do an Instagram post. and Yeah. (laughs) I want to read you this because for the show, I Googled mindful eating. Let's just say what pops up. Really prominent in the search is something that comes up from Harvard Health, which is, you know, that's pretty prestigious. But in, literally, this is on the front page of Harvard Health's website about mindful eating, a starter kit for mindful eating. And I'll just run it past you and, and you can see how far from what we've been talking about Harvard is. Yes, please. So here's what experts are suggesting to gradually start for mindful eating. One, set your kitchen timer to 20 minutes and take that time to eat a normal-sized meal. Uh-huh. Two, try eating with your non-dominant hand. <laughs> Three, use chopsticks if you don't normally use them. <laughs> Four, eat silently for five minutes, thinking about what it took to produce the meal from the sun's rays to the farmer to the grocer to the cook. Uh, okay. Take small bites and chew well. Before opening the fridge, take a breath and ask yourself Am I really hungry? Do something else like reading or going on
1: a short walk. <laughs> it's on a different planet. <laughs> so, okay, let me say this: the the timer with the twenty minutes was hilarious, but especially worrying for me was eat a normal sized meal. Yeah, yeah. What is that? What is a normal sized meal? I have no
0: idea. We but have oh, no have idea. A judgment. It's a judgment, I guess.
1: Exactly, it's a judgment. And of course, it will be fed by notions of what portion size should be for a specific energy intake that of course is linked with the outcome of weight Mm -hmm. mind. And Mm -hmm. so for me, a normal-sized meal is whatever is dictated by my hunger and satiety cues and appetites and cultural and social situation at any given moment. It's Mm -hmm. not... Yeah, it's yeah. normal sex skill is very tricky. And the other things on the list, I will say that those are specific mini practices or tools that can really have the effect of increasing our awareness or attention to the act of eating Because mm. because of the way we have been conditioned. What happens for most people is that we are continually eating mindlessly. And we are eating mindlessly, of course, because we are not attuned to our embodied experience moment by moment. And we are really more in touch most of the time with our mind hunger, which is this notion of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts that have been inserted by diet culture or externally driven ways of eating. And it's not that... Mind hunger is that per se. Mind hunger can actually be a wonderful ally in terms of the memories of our previous embodied experiences that give us some input in terms of future decisions and choices. And for some people with certain conditions, mind hunger can be a powerful ally when attunement to inner hunger and satiety cues is made difficult by those conditions. And so eating with chopsticks or eating with a non-dominant hand or paying attention to what the tongue does in the mouth or chewing slowly, or even setting a timer to let us know that this is how long it would be useful to take for signals to reach from our digestive system to the rest of our body and our brain, and then allow us to make other choices. All of those tools can be useful to bring attention to the act of eating. Eating with a non-dominant hand for me is a really fun practice because I start laughing (laughs) <laughs> at how clumsy my left hand feels. And then it really makes me pay more attention to bringing the fork and getting the bites and putting into my mouth. Ooh. And so it's really a fun way to bring attention to the act of eating. So it's just, I would say an aid. It is. But, it, but you it's not the core of the practice.
0: No, because you've got the core of the practice and it's solid and you understand that the. Foundation of mindful eating is awareness and being with yourself and, and a curious, gentle attention. You've got that. But for yes. people who don't, who are just reading that list, it so easily will slip right into diet culture thinking, the perfectionist kind of thinking of this is how you should be eating. like yes. Without the context, because that context that you're talking about is absent from this page. And that
1: context, uh, yes, it is absolutely absent from the page. And I would say that one thing I hadn't mentioned, and it's important to mention, is that mindfulness at its core is a way to develop discerning wisdom.
0: Oh, and yeah. so it's,
1: mm. it's that discernment of what is kind and compassionate and skillful at any given time, which is something that will liberate us from oppression and suffering in all of its different forms, Mm. especially the suffering of the way we are relating to things with attachment and aversion and ignorance. And so it is this discerning wisdom that is the core of the practice. And when we are simply following a set of guidelines, like, or actually a set of rigid rules of put a 20 minute timer and chew Mm. 20 or 40 times and Mm. use your non-dominant hand. And that is not coming from a grounding in mindfulness and compassion, then it will just get into the dieting mind. Mm, mm. And
0: that's what can make it so tricky because what you really need is that solid foundation and base, which how can people learn that? What would be your advice on how people can
1: start learning more about this? So I would say that in the tradition of mindfulness, in the Buddhist tradition, there is mention to what is called the triple jewel which is the Buddha or the enlightened one or the teacher, the Dharma, which is the teachings, the body of teachings, and the Sangha, which is the community. And so I think that in order to really learn what the essence of the practice is, it needs to be through an embodied transmission of the teachings and in relationship. So for me, having a teacher with a really deep understanding is crucial and also having a community to practice with.
0: Mm, Yeah, because it's difficult to do all of this on your own when
1: we're all stuck in diet culture. Yes, because the way our mind works, it has implicit cognitive bias, which means that anything we receive as new input, we will try to place in a way that confirms what we already knew. And so if what is there, the grounding and the scaffolding is the guiding mind, anything that comes in will just be layered on top of that or Used to accommodate to the dieting mind. And so, in order to challenge this, we need enough cognitive dissonance and we need a different way of connecting and relating, which is really the core of what we're teaching. It's a way of, you just said it, it's a way of showing up. And the way we show up is the way we are in relationship. And so, If we learn how to be in relationship with a teacher and the community and ourselves that is really rooted in acceptance and respect Mm. and compassion and wisdom, then what we learn in that context will go to a new way of learning, a new way of relating and a new paradigm. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it takes time to do that. Oh, it takes so yeah. much time. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's what the people in Untrapped do. And it, Untrapped is like a 10-week process, but it takes longer than that. To
1: Yes. To, I mean,
0: everyone's a bit different. but and, and same in therapy sessions as well. You know, people don't kind of learn the concept of mindful eating and finish there. That's just the beginning.
1: Yes, exactly. It's so lovely that you're offering this Untrapped program. And I love the name, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> because we were talking about how so much of this is unlearning. Yes. So so much of this is about untrapping. And you're right. This, the 10 weeks are the beginning. I often teach what I call primer or beginners or introductory courses. Beginners is a funny name because In this tradition, in the mindfulness tradition, we are all beginners. We need to approach everything with a beginner's mind, which opens us to curiosity and learning and an exploration and discovery. But these primer or introductory courses that can be a weekend or a retreat or an eight to 12 week program are really just that, a beginning and a seed. It's a planting of seed and it's a beginning to really become familiar with what it could be like. If we stay on this path.
0: Yeah, what it could be like. Yeah, because I think people, when in the process of change, people get glimmers and little things show up and then over time those glimmers join together. Then it's really gentle though. It's not like a, you know, bolt of lightning change. It's just a, a peace that comes yes. with all of this. It's really lovely. And it's totally nothing to do with weight loss. <laughs>
1: No, not anything to do with the pursuit of weight loss. Not anything to do with forcing our bodies to conform to a certain standard or ideal. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much,
0: Lily. I could seriously talk to you all day about everything. It's just so fascinating. But we probably need to finish up. But you're doing a webinar, is that right? In later in the year.
1: Yes. So one of the activities that I've been invited to as a result of the blog post I published was that the Center for Mindful Eating has invited me to do a webinar on precisely why mindful eating is weight inclusive. It will take place sometime in October. Okay. It is the definite date is not out yet, but for those of you who don't yet follow the Center of Mindful Eating, you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Do so, that. yeah.
0: yeah brilliant. And we'll put everything in the show notes about how to get into the center of mindful eating as well yes but, yeah. absolutely I'll be definitely there
1: <laughs> <laughs> wonderful
0: thank you so much for a wonderful conversation thank you for everything that you do and your passion and your anger and your openness and just all thank of you it. so much Lou
1: and <laughs> thank you for the work you are doing too
0: what an incredible conversation thank you again Lilia for your deep wisdom and gosh you really get me thinking every time we have a conversation And it's just so good to know that there are people like her in the world, right? So that brings us to the end of another week on All Fired Up. But don't worry, we will be back with more outrage. And of course, if you have a topic that's really getting up your nose, please let me know. Send me an email, louise at au. I absolutely adore getting mail. And I'm sorry if I don't always respond quickly because I do get quite a bit now, which is Amazing, awesome, and also utterly, utterly outrageous that there's still so much work to be done. But please get in contact and we will see if we can get all fired up about your topic right here on the podcast. And if you're enjoying All Fired Up, please don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a nice rating and review because the more attention we get, the more the message gets out there and the more people hear the All Fired Up message and we can topple diet culture for good how nice would that be? And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss episodes when they come out every fortnight. Don't forget also we have our free resource, which is our ebook, Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss Is Bullshit by me and Fiona Willer, who is a fierce anti-diet dietitian. In this ebook, which is completely free, it's a resource that you can download and give to friends, medical professionals, colleagues, anyone you think might benefit from hearing more about the weight science basis behind Health at Every Size and why it's absolutely not a red herring. But this is very much based on everything that we know about weight and weight science at this time and just how much kind of misleading information there is that is contributing to far too much body shame. So go to untrapped.com.au and download it. As I said, it's completely free. Read it for yourself. Give it to all of your friends, your family, your colleagues, anyone who will read it. And of course, if you are struggling with anything that we have touched on during the All Fine Up podcasts, if your relationship with food is really stuck in diet culture, or if you really just are just at the end of your tether with dieting and weight loss efforts, if you can really see the writing on the wall and you're ready for something completely different, come and join us at untrapped.com.au, which is our incredible online program written by me alongside 12 other amazing non-diet health professionals. And we really very comprehensively help you knock down the walls of diet prison forever and live truly freely as Lilia was kind of touching on really liberated kind of way of living and a wonderful support network and community that we have built up to on our Facebook group so if you're struggling please don't do it alone please join us at untrapped.com.au okay that's it from me for another week I can't wait to be back with another livid episode of all fired up but in the meantime trust no one think critically push back against diet culture untrap from the crap